Hello, 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 and welcome to the third episode of How to Win Friends and Influenza, the podcast. My name's Lily, and I'll be your host for the next half hour of glorious insights into life in medicine. The discipline of infectious diseases and microbiology is definitely a fascinating one. That explains why we have so many movies about infectious outbreaks, zombie apocalypses, and crazy diseases that ravage the human population. But in real life, it's also really interesting. According to an article from Nature, you have at least as many bacteria in your gut as you have cells in your body. So at 30 trillion or so, that's heaps. But suppose the bacteria in your gut become disrupted. Can you imagine having a tube put in from your nose to your intestines and coming through that tube is another person's fecal matter? But that's real and it's a treatment called fecal microbiota transplant. It's been explored and it's still being explored and for some patients that can be really, really life-changing. In a compatible person, FMT can make all the difference between recovering and not recovering those precious gut bacteria and that can be a life or death situation. Microbiology obviously plays a huge role in analyzing and storing those precious fecal matter samples, and that makes this revolutionary treatment possible. And what about when we read news stories of salmonella outbreaks from restaurants, or when we hear tales of strange new and exotic germs, or if you've got a patient with suspected sepsis and you need to find out what pathogen is involved. That all comes back to infectious diseases and microbiology. And so it's my great pleasure today to introduce Dr. Elaine. She's the department head of microbiology in a major teaching hospital, and she has very exciting stories to tell. So here's Dr. Elaine. Thank you, Lily, for that introduction. Um, so yes, it is exciting, infectious diseases and microbiology for future and predicted, shall we say, events in human health. But actually, infectious diseases and microbiology is interesting because it's also an ancient problem as well. So. If you go back through history, there's actually evidence that um, old-fashioned traditional infections did play a significant role in history and um, did shape, I'd like to think, global events. And also, some of those ancient diseases are still with us. So, for example, um, as humans, we still haven't worked out how to completely eradicate things like tuberculosis or syphilis. So while it's all new and exciting, some of the old stuff's pretty interesting too. Okay, thanks for that intro. Now, to start off with, I'm going to give you a bit of a random scenario. So, suppose you're at a six-year-old child's birthday party. I don't know why you're there, you're just there for some reason. And you have to explain to an audience like that, in very simple terms, what microbiology is and what exactly you do. So, how would you express that? Well, generally I find it um, a good idea not to speak to people about my profession, particularly parents, um, because you know, they come and ask you all sorts of inappropriate questions. Uh, so it's not something I do, but in a hypothetical situation, um, I guess the thing is microbiology is an enormous discipline. It's a study of, uh, shall we say, microscopic pathogens. And in the medical context, it's medical microbiology. Uh, if the truth be told, I just tell people that I work in a hospital. I don't tell them what I do exactly, but if I had to tell them exactly what I did, I guess the summary would be that I assist in diagnosing and treating infections. Uh, as one component and I guess if you could expand upon that the other aspect of a hospital micro ID person is essentially also some of the other aspects that come to play within an institution in terms of managing infections so for example we take on the roles of infection control and prevention as well as things like um, antimicrobial stewardship so it's, it's more broader than just the individual patient itself it's actually 
should we say, um, a bit of a community approach or institution approach to how we think about managing infections. Right. So with infectious diseases and microbiology, they're not the same thing at all, but they do get pulled together. Can you walk us through the differences, how they complement each other? Uh, look, I, th- I find that an interesting question because in my mind, they're not really that different. I guess if you're going to be, um, shall we say, very simplistic, uh, one would say that the microbiology is a pathological discipline, which is essentially uh, the laboratory-based, you know, the in vitro study, um, the diagnostic and investigative aspect of it Uh, and clinical infectious diseases is clearly translating some of that information into uh, patient care but in my day-to-day practice it becomes one so knowing the microbiology obviously assists with the treatment of patients but also knowing the clinical scenario allows you to perform better microbiology in terms of choosing appropriate tests and you know furthering investigations of potential pathogens so there are, I guess, formal differences, but uh, from the way my practice is and the way my department's practice is, it's extremely complementary and probably could be considered as the one entity. Is there such thing as a typical day? Not really. I guess there's certain themes to my day. Uh, I, because I participate both in clinical care and laboratory management, usually the day is a combination of both those things. Um, I guess from the clinical care aspect, like many other physicians, I provide um, direct patient consultation, see patients in outpatient clinics, and in infectious diseases there's a lot of uh, telephone advice and discussion about patients. And I guess from the microbiology side of it, a lot of the laboratory management is often to do with um, not just reviewing significant results, but uh, quality aspects of managing the lab. So they could be things like ensuring that our test algorithms are appropriate to uh, the uh, conditions that we're trying to diagnose. And unfortunately, some of it's just purely administration, which is um, things like looking at finances and workflow and things like that. So that is the truth, children, about growing <laughs> up and trying to run departments. So um, much less glamorous than they teach you in medical school. So I guess that level of administration is unavoidable in all parts of medicine, but I imagine there's a greater burden from being the department head. Well, yes and no. I think traditionally uh, you can be a medical practitioner without doing too much administration. Ultimately, if you're in private or in public, one has to do some administration, I think. Um, In terms of the burden of being department head, yes and no. I'm fortunate in that I work in a department where there's a lot of contribution to management just outside of being department head. So I'm fortunate in that way. It's much more fun having other people do it as well. (laughs) Well, I'm very curious about your journey coming through from all the way from medical student to department head. Could you just give us a brief overview of how that happened? I think department head is not something you achieve. It's something that's thrust upon you in many (laughs) situations. So it's, I wouldn't say that it's been a sort of stellar trajectory to department head. It's just something that's evolved. So that's the first thing to say. Um, I guess as being a medical student, uh, unlike many of the medical students nowadays, we did this as a primary undergraduate degree. And I did a six year course, uh, which then uh, was very traditional in its aspects. So it was a lot of pathophysiology followed by then clinical attachments and then I went through the traditional uh, training 
of internship. Back in those days, we did only one year of internship, and that was um, that was very difficult. So um, I actually quit after my first year of internship. So by then, once you performed your internship, you're qualified. And I, I guess if I'm honest, the, tr- the reason why I quit was um, being an intern or a junior medical doctor is so far removed from basically what I felt to be what a doctor should be doing. So in many ways, it was uh, no real appreciable application of what I'd learned in medicine, which I really enjoyed. So I felt that actually as I was working and becoming a glorified secretary, that I was de-skilling. I couldn't see where I was applying those medical skills. So I actually quit thinking that, well, I like medicine, but I don't want to do this. And um, that's probably one of the reasons why I think doing this kind of interview is important because at that stage, no one really spoke to me about moving ahead and what, you know, what to expect if you're going to progress in a career with medicine. So at that stage I quit and I did actually try to stay in medicine because as I said I enjoy the discipline so I actually went back to the university and volunteered as a tutor in the subjects that I enjoyed the most. And what subjects were they? Uh, pathology and microbiology. Ah. So it's quite telling I guess but um, after doing that for four months I was approached by my supervisor of my elective term and she said that there was a job available as a microbiology laboratory registrar at a hospital and would I like to try it. So I did try it and I enjoyed it and I was given very good advice at the end of that year to basically go back and pursue some more clinical training. And so I did that and that was not very pleasant but I guess you know um, working as a JMO you've got to do it and I'd like to think that I learned a lot more in that process and then ultimately I um, sat the physician's exams and completed my uh, clinical training to be infectious diseases specialist and then after that I then um, completed my training in laboratory medicine to be a microbiologist. Okay. And then there you have it. Now um, skipping back a little to when you said it wasn't all that pleasant being a JMO, can you just quickly list some of the issues you faced? Well I think it was probably worse back then. Um, I'm not going to reveal my age, but it was long enough ago to say that um, 24-hour shifts were still in place. Uh, The junior staff were not really supported very well by the senior staff. There was not as much, uh, shall we say, structured uh, JMO management and um, support as there is nowadays. And I think if the approach back then was the junior staff was there to just basically get on with the legwork rather than the culture now where the junior staff are there to be supported and taught. So there was a situation where if you couldn't do something that was your problem whereas now I think there's a situation where if you couldn't do something then you escalate it to a more senior person or more experienced person. So I think there has been a change in culture. I guess there wasn't anything specific it was just more that it was um, disappointing in the practice of medicine from what I had believed to be you know something that I would enjoy following medical school was widely wildly different from my expectations 
I think that the way that the medical schools have evolved now to include a lot more on-site clinical training is a good thing. But on the other side, I despair, at least in the medical school that I'm involved in, that there's probably not enough uh, teaching of the basic medical science and pathology to allow for good grounding for later on. So it's, I think it's trying to get a balance between that sort of theory um, versus experience and practice, which is a difficult part. Well, it's good to hear that the culture has changed since then, and it sounds like people are better supported now. It is interesting that you mention a grounding in basic sciences would be helpful because at the same time with all the postgraduate courses, a big feature of those is having people from diverse backgrounds, but it does give them a, a little bit of a disadvantage in some ways because they don't have that medical science knowledge. So it's, it's kind of an interesting contrast there. Yeah, I think so. I do, um, at least... At least from my experience with the medical students, I do like to see people from different backgrounds. I think they bring in particular skill sets into medicine. Uh, I think that at the end of the day, there's great commonality in people who choose to do medicine, whatever their original degree is, in that most people are very self-motivated, focused, and have an understanding of how to um, progress things themselves, even if the isn't any formal training but there are some things that I think you do need formal training in and formal teaching in and some of those are the pathological sciences. Sure. Now when you were going through your your days as a student and a junior doctor were there any other specialties that were tempting you besides infectious diseases microbiology? Yeah very much so so um and I, and I do have to say sometimes I wish I had thought about, you know, pursuing these things because my life might be a bit easier, <laughs> but certainly more boring. Uh, look, I, at one stage I entertained being an ophthalmologist. Oh, yeah. And I, in fact, did a term in ophthalmology, but I had such poor surgical skills it was very obvious to me and to everyone else that I shouldn't do it. The other consideration was actually um, being a dermatologist which I kind of enjoyed, but at the end of the day, I didn't find um, very interesting. And then lastly, I guess, once you sit the physician's exam, there is a, shall we say, an acknowledgement that you're interested in internal medicine. I did consider doing respiratory medicine because I could see that there was a lot of attractive things about it, but ultimately I think that was not really what I wanted to do. I think I really wanted to do something in infectious diseases and microbiology. So what is it about infectious diseases and microbiology that keeps you coming to work every day? What's the exciting thing? Well the truth really is is it's not um, what I see every day which I found to be the original attraction. So the original attraction is that there's something viscerally attractive about infections. There's a certain grossness about them so to speak um, sort of adversarial nature of the human host versus the pathogens so I, I guess I liked um, tropical medicine for that reason I like there's something exotic and fascinating about humans being in hosts being infected by pathogens things that you could see things with complex structures that were invading and causing disease. I quite like that aspect and I continue to like it. I also like the fact that it's extremely diverse. So infectious diseases, if you think about it, it affects um, across disciplines, medical, surgical, um, some of the subspecialties as well. 
and I also like that I can never know anything in in its total complexity and that sounds a little bit strange but it's quite nice to always have new challenges so even with the traditional diseases as I mentioned tuberculosis staphylococcal bacteremia we're still as humans trying to get a grip with those and we're getting better I'd like to think but we're not in any sense um, have a sense of true mastery over those diseases so first of all you know we're, we're not winning but there's a challenge in continuing to address those things and then as you can imagine there's always a new infectious diseases a threat or emerging infectious disease or a new understanding of how microbiology works and the microbiota as you said with the fecal transplantation so I think it's a diversity and um, I think it's going to provide a lifelong challenge. And speaking of new and exciting and strange diseases, uh, you were brought in not too long ago, I think the end of last year, to do with some cats that had a, a strain of salmonella that was resistant. Oh, look, that's actually um, not because I'm a cat specialist or a salmonella specialist, but uh, I'm very fortunate in that I work with people who are very broad-minded and uh, through, shall we say, academic uh, collaboration, collaborations and friendships, uh, we actually are involved with um, uh, veterinary pathologists and um, essentially that's how that collaboration occurred in that we did some testing for cats with diarrhea and found the multi-resistant bacteria, the multi-resistant salmonella and it sort of raises a lot of questions about uh, one health issues so not just human health but obviously environmental and animal health so it's a sort of a one health concept and I think that's becoming more and more important nowadays to not just think about yourselves in terms of um, infections and antibiotic resistance but there's a sort of a whole interplay of other factors which are outside just the individual Okay, so would you consider infectious diseases and microbiology a rather social specialty in that you talk to a lot of other doctors or is it more solitary? Oh look, it's extremely, um, I guess social may not be the correct word, but it's (laughs) extremely consultative. Um, I'm fortunate in the place where I work that we have a very strong culture of uh, good communication and collaboration with multiple specialties. And um, I like to think that perhaps outside of other clinical disciplines, I see more surgical um, infections, or maybe not more, but the breadth of um, pathology that I see is across multiple surgical and medical disciplines. It also requires um, a situation where you can communicate well with people from multiple disciplines, not just across the medical specialties, but as part of infection control and antimicrobial stewardship it involves a lot of interactions with other healthcare workers like nursing and pharmacy and you name it even cleaning services so I think it's um I think it's a great strength of the specialty in that it is diverse and it's also quite uh, holistic and across multiple disciplines in in terms of who you interact with. Okay, now it's difficult to generalize, but are there any particular personality traits or characteristics that would be suited to infectious diseases? That's interesting, isn't it? Look, um, there's something for everyone in medicine. I'd like to think that doing infectious diseases, you need to um, have a sense of uh, humility. 
because often you are providing advice to other healthcare workers and um, it's important to have a sense that ultimately when people make decisions and seek your advice they're wanting to get the best for the patient so um, in giving that advice you need to take into account that you're not always you know correct you have to listen to what they have to say very carefully and also in this era of, era of antimicrobial stewardship in trying to educate and encourage people to prescribe wisely I think those skills are really important so I think um, humility a sense of um, being a good communicator and um, also being quite open-minded is important um, you can do any specialty with any personality type I suspect but um, I think to be effective in infectious diseases, at least within an institution, it requires a lot of good communication. Sure. And since we're being quite frank about the specialties here, are there any things about infectious diseases that might turn people off? Um, some people don't like to be involved in, shall we say, managerial aspects. There is a fair bit of um, quality and managerial um, time taken up in this job but having said that infectious d diseases is a very diverse practice so they're infectious diseases physicians who do very different jobs from what I do some of them just run clinics some of them run travel clinics some of them uh, do hepatitis clinics and so they're really not consulting I suspect as widely as perhaps I am as a general infectious diseases physician so um, that's really difficult to comment on um, because I know that infectious diseases specialists do different things, including lots of, uh, shall we say, overseas and tropical medicine. And you can choose a lot of career paths after training in infectious diseases. And I think that's a great strength as well. Okay. And is there a lot of travel involved in it or is, is that an option? I guess that's an option for any specialty, isn't it? But I think in infectious diseases, certainly for myself, I think um, the travel and the tropical medicine is extremely um, enticing for me because I don't see that much tropical medicine in temperate Sydney. Uh, so yes, the answer is yes, there is a lot of travel involved as much as you wish to make of it. Okay, and what are the, some of the places that people could make the most difference? What sorts of countries or regions? Depends on how you define make the most difference but to yourself to that local community, to world peace. I mean, I, I guess you can think of it in many ways. Um, I like to think of making most difference within my local community and where I work is probably the most um, important thing to me. But I guess theoretically you could make a difference anywhere you choose to focus your energies. I guess if I was doing more tropical medicine, the obvious answer would be, okay, well, you can make the most difference in resource impoverished places because you're providing expertise and resources. That's one way of looking at it, but I think you can make a lot of difference wherever you are. Okay, and what are some typical um, diseases or illnesses that you might come across? So you mentioned TB as one? Yes, look, there's actually a um, fair bit of TB. Obviously not in Australia as much as in other places, but in the type of work I do, um, we obviously see people with TB and it's one of the great uh, personal pleasures in infectious diseases for me. I really enjoy seeing it and one of the, not only is it a challenging condition to manage, but um, in my setting anyway, the people that get TB are people who are refugees or early migrants and uh, 
seeing these um, cases is, uh, should we say, very enjoyable because you get to learn about um, other people, their challenges, their other healthcare concerns. You have an understanding of uh, public health. You have an understanding of community medicine. And um, some of these cases are very challenging, not just for the tuberculosis itself, which is now becoming more drug resistant, but also challenging in terms of managing their healthcare issues together with their uh, social and economic issues. Sure. So would you have ongoing relationships with the patients or is it you see them at the beginning and maybe at the end? Um, it's, uh, infectious diseases is quite interesting. So they're sometimes just very one-off uh, consultations. Often there's a primary caring team and we provide, shall we say, consultative advice and we that's how we do get to interact with a lot of patients we see within the hospital. But then outside of that, we do actually have long-term patients. And I guess the examples of that would be tuberculosis, some some um, HIV patients and so and so forth. So look, it's a, it's a, it's a mix. So you, I guess the answer is yes, we do have long-term patients. Okay, so a good, a good variety of Yeah, uh, very patients. much so. Okay, now a question I suspect a lot of people wonder about but never really ask is, what's the risk to you as the infectious diseases clinician of contracting some of these illnesses yourself? I guess there's a risk to contracting infections within the hospital setting. Potentially there's greater risk if I'm seeing patients with infections more than other specialties. But in many ways, it's not something that we really are concerned about infectious diseases because in many ways we're also trained in infection prevention. So the risk is, I guess, um, is if we don't take the necessary precautions. But hopefully um, we would like to think that we're in a better position than others <laughs> to understand about taking those precautions. So I think my risk is the same as any other healthcare workers, possibly even better because most of the time I'm thinking about using the correct personal protective equipment, isolation of patients, hand hygiene, all those things. Yeah, I guess you'd be a lot more aware of it. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Now, this is purely anecdotal, but I've, I've heard it said, for example, that psychiatrists are never off, and even if it's your colleague or your friend and you're talking to them, they're sort of analysing you the whole time, or if you're a neurologist, that you're always looking at the way someone walks. So I'm just wondering, in infectious diseases, are you hyper-acute about you know, hand-washing and hygiene? Has it affected your attitude on that? I guess it has. Um, look, it's also... Um I guess I'm not thinking about it in every aspect of my life um, because I think one of the things is you can you can take it to its extremes. If you think about life, we're surrounded by bacteria and you know potential threats. But I guess in infectious diseases and microbiology, you're probably much better tempered in understanding that you know there's no such thing as essentially complete microbial eradication. It's all about which are pathogens and which are actually normal colonizing flora, if you want to put it that way. So you, we never, well, I don't operate in a situation where I think, oh, look, there's constantly all these bugs around me and I'm just going to you know, live in a state of fear or constant prevention because um, I think that's unhealthy. And certainly we do see patients like that who have you know, delusional um, infectious states. So I don't think that's um, the situation at all. I think that um, most of the time we're kind of normal people with maybe a good focus on hand hygiene and cleaning and maybe and maybe a better understanding of what not to do when you're overseas (laughs) can you give us any tips uh 
vaccination is very important. Um, thinking about prevention and vaccination before you travel is very important. But look, I don't spend my time in a sanitized hotel room when I travel. I'm certainly out in the streets eating stuff. But you know, it's 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 important to make sure you don't undertake super risky behaviors when you go away. So I guess my tips are get vaccinated before you travel. Don't do silly things like, um, you know, eat in scary places or have, you know, sexual affairs with strangers. Um, and take a good supply of antibiotics, which may be helpful. <laughs> now, you mentioned antibiotics, and I know that's a big thing about the antibiotic resistance, and it's quite an issue. Could you make any comments on that? I think it is quite an issue. So for example, I actually saw a patient yesterday with an untreatable infection. Yeah. And look, that's actually a commonplace thing in some parts of the world where multi-resistant infections occur. It's much less common here, but it actually is a very sobering experience to see someone and tell them you can't treat them and that you're going to have to revert to very almost medieval approaches to medical care. So for example, the only way in which we might consider managing this patient I'm talking about would be surgical excision of infected tissue. So I think it's actually um, a real concern. I'd like to think that as individual medical practitioners, we can improve on our prescribing and, and think about this in a global sense. But as I mentioned before, there is a the concept of One Health, and I think it takes more than just individuals and even doctors and vets and whatever practicing, I think it actually takes um, legislative and uh, societal change to actually try and address this properly. Surely at the same time, there must be things we can do as individuals. Should we avoid taking antibiotics when we can? Or? It's not about avoidance. I think it's about appropriate use. Okay. So giving antibiotics just because you think there might be an infection or because it makes you feel secure that you might be doing something for the patient as opposed to nothing, all those things that you know are taught in med school about appropriate prescribing, they're unwise. So if you're going to give antibiotics, do it well, treat infections well. We don't want to be in a situation where people with infections are not given antibiotics just in case you know you might promote resistance. I think that's the wrong I think that's the wrong focus. Um, sometimes people say they don't like antimicrobial stewardship because you know we're always going on about not giving antibiotics. I don't think that's the case. It's about giving the appropriate antibiotics for the appropriate indications and the correct duration. So using some thought in your prescribing as opposed to just giving antibiotics because it's there or not really thinking about why you're giving them at all. So um, I think as individuals we should perhaps think about um, educating ourselves about antimicrobial use and trying to put that into practice and I guess um, being part of a medical or scientific society which um, promotes aspects of good prescribing and um, is involved in shall we say lobbying or supporting changes to other things so for example you may not may or may not be aware about you know antibiotics being used as growth promoters in animal um, industries. I think that kind of practice really drives antimicrobial resistance on a global scale more than, say, individual patient prescribing. So there are many things you can do. Um, I don't think it's just one thing. 
Now, in line with the idea of appropriate use of antibiotics, I think it's quite mind-blowing to realize that germs are not exactly the enemy. Sort of when you're growing up, maybe you're taught to wash your hands as a kid and, and you know, germs are bad. But the idea is really that some bacteria are good and some are bad, and it's not necessarily that we just want to eradicate them all. So I think that's a, a really cool thing, and maybe not everyone realizes that immediately. Now, I want to end with one slightly odd question on that, on that note. Uh, what do you think is the biggest difference between infectious diseases and microbiology in the movies as opposed to real life? Because I think just like with the idea of germs being evil, it's, you know, people's perception may not be reality. Yeah, well, I guess you've got to sell something in a movie, don't you? I mean, I have to say that not all um, infectious diseases are portrayed realistically in movies. But having said that, I really enjoy them. I actually thought that that one which was I think it was Contagion, um, was uh, very much modelled on SARS and I thought that some of the things were very relevant. So I think I think portraying sort of dynamics of transmission and rapidity of spread in that context, uh, I think it does give people a message about, um, shall we say, these emerging infections which can be quickly devastating. Of course it's really sort of um, unrealistic in some aspects so you don't want there to be hysteria but look it's not completely incorrect. I also love zombie movies so I'm really um, keen on things like Shaun of the Dead. It's and a great movie. Yeah yeah. I uh, wasn't so keen on World, World War Z or Z or whatever you want to call it but yeah I, I enjoy them but I don't think they're um, I don't think they're really realistic portrayals of what happens in real life. Um, and unfortunately, going back to the sort of kitty party, this is what I get asked sometimes. Mm. So best not to say what you do. <laughs> well, thank you so much for giving us um, your viewpoint on, on some of these really exciting topics. Uh, thank you so much. I hope that our listeners have learnt quite a bit from this. I think it's really good to get a snapshot inside the world of infectious diseases and microbiology and I think the fact that it's portrayed in, in movies you don't really see many movies about surgery for example nothing against surgeons um, but the fact that it's got this kind of attention really shows that the public has an interest in this and of course uh, like you mentioned the One Health Initiative things like this it's really is quite relevant globally so thank you so much for your time Dr. Elaine. My pleasure Lily. Thank you and we'll see you in the next episode. <laughs>